This is the Definitely Uncertain Podcast, brought to you by Goldrock Capital. Each week, we look at how high net worth families can improve their lives, decisions, and investments in a deeply uncertain world. We always aim to provide practical information, even if we can't offer specific investment advice. This is the Definitely Uncertain Podcast. My name is Darren Rockman, and I am a partner at Goldrock Capital the 21-year-old multifamily office serving high net worth families in Israel and around the world. And today on the podcast, Paul Dawalibi, CEO of Holodeck Ventures. Hi, Paul, welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Darren. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you on. So Paul is a global expert in a really interesting area, which is esports. And we're going to talk a lot about esports today on the podcast. Holodeck Ventures, he is dedicated to building a holding company incubator which is focused exclusively on the world of esports and gaming. He has an MBA from the MIT Sloan School of Management, and he has been blogging and speaking about gaming since 2010, which is before anybody ever heard of esports. Uh, <laughs> he was previously a partner at a venture fund called Garage Ventures and followed the business closely from there. He's also the founder and host of the Business of Esports podcast, which I've listened to on a number of occasions, which is a really uh, interesting insight deep into the world of esports. But for those of us for whom this is a new and virgin area, hopefully this will be an opportunity for us to uh, learn a little bit more about what is esports. So let's start with that. Paul, what is esports? <laughs> what is esports? It's funny enough, not a lot of people agree on the definition. I think the most widely accepted is video gaming, competitive video gaming, where you have an audience, whether it's in person or not, and professionals playing against professionals. So the strictest defini definition of esports is very much like the strict definition of professional sports. I like to think of esports though, in the same way, Darren, if you and I go play basketball, we would say we're playing a sport, right? We would, even though neither of us are professionals, I don't think I'm not. Barely get the ball in the hoop, you know. Uh. <laughs> okay. But, and so I like to think of esports and video gaming or gaming short as one in the same, right? It doesn't have to be the narrow definition, but I think the widely accepted version is esports is the tip of the iceberg. It's the pros on the stage, big prize money, and video gaming is the rest of the iceberg underneath okay. the water, the really big opportunity. So for those who have only ever seen people playing on their phone or maybe a, a kid or a grandchild in a basement somewhere in front of a screen. So basically we're talking about games where more than one player are able to play at the same time and there's either a collaborative effort or a competitive effort and the winner of the particular game is the winner of that competition very similar to the way that you would play a regular sport absolutely and i think this is where there are great similarities to, to traditional sports because the competitive scene is similar you have professional gamers who consider themselves athletes who belong to organizations that pay them, train them, feed them. Like it's very much like being a part of a baseball team or a football team. And, and I think there are differences with traditional sports, but for the most part, that competitive esports scene is very similar. Okay. Just like there are lots of different sports, there are lots of different esports. Just to make it color in this picture a little more. Let's take an example, okay? So an example of a given game, how does it work? And how does the competitive aspect of that work? So let's take maybe the biggest in the world, League of Legends, 200 to 250 million players worldwide. 
It's made by a company called Riot Games. The game is owned by Riot Games. So unlike traditional sports, there is someone, someone who owns, owns the, the game. Someone owns the ball, right? yeah. Someone owns the ball. And only Riot can put on big tournaments and things like that unless you get their permission, right? Again, unlike traditional sports where you and I could go create our own football league, could put on our own football tournaments in professional esports, it's very much owned by the developer of the game. And what Riot does with League of Legends is they created a tournament and league structure in the same way you have the NBA or the NFL. And teams who want to compete in this league have to buy a franchise slot. So they pay anywhere from call it 10 to 15 million US dollars to buy into the league and be able to field a team. Are people in a team? In League of Legends, it's five. Okay. Plus any alternates, backups, things like that, but five right. playing at any one time. And these teams, the value of these teams has increased because this, there are scarcity of the franchise slots. If you want to compete at the highest level in League of Legends, you need to own a franchise that's approved by Riot, and therefore you need to buy a franchise slot. Now, the teams are managed independently. They recruit their own players. They field their own teams. They win prize money. That's revenue for those teams. So it's very similar. They sell jerseys. It's very similar from a monetization standpoint to traditional sports. For those of, of us who've never played League of Legends, how do you win a game of League of Legends? What do you got to do? <laughs> With League of Legends, you have to destroy essentially the, call it the home base of the other team. There's one okay. building that's like the main base and your goal is to destroy that main base. Okay. And, and how long does the game take? Anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour, depending okay. on how the game goes. Okay. And for those in the audience who've never seen what a competitive, an in-person competitive esports competition looks like, what does it look like? Uh, like the League of Legends World Championship, just to give you some context, yeah. draws a bigger crowd than the Super Bowl, bigger crowd than the NBA Finals. You're talking uh, about a live crowd or people watching online? watching online so the last year's league of legends finals drew about a hundred million people little over a hundred million people and that's that's a large online only audience and they usually play it in only the largest stadium so they'll fill 50,000 60,000 seat stadium over a, a four or five day tournament and up on stage there are a bunch of guys sitting in big armchairs with yes. consoles in their hands big screens everywhere and they're all just shooting and blasting at each other there's lots of screens, so you can follow the action. But yeah, there's 10 guys on the stage with mice and keyboards, in fact, and monitors. Right. And yeah, you're following the action. But there's commentary that adds to the excitement. And the crowd is just as, look, I've been to many of these esports tournaments. I can tell you there's more energy in some of those crowds than in some of the biggest hockey games or football games. Okay. And the demographic. Okay. So there's, there's not going to be any surprises here. What's the average age of somebody showing up to see a a competitive sports game, whether you're in person or online? Yeah, this, uh, that's a bit of an, it depends question or answer. And the same way it is for traditional sports, like the average age of an NFL fan is about 50. The average age of a major league baseball fan is like 58. Right. There are differences, right? And in, in the same way, esports league of legends will trend a little bit older, right? It's a bit more of a complex game. The fans tend to be a bit older. You play it for longer. And so there you will see teenagers up into guys in their 30s and 40s who will come and watch wow, a League of Legends. Wow, old, Paul, really? 
Uh, yeah, very, <laughs> I'm the old guy, okay? I'm right. the old guy in the room. But you take something like a Fortnite tournament, which trends a bit younger. Like I was at the Fortnite World Cup in New York City. In fact, they filled Arthur Ashe Stadium where the US Open is played. Yeah. And with $30 million of prize money, it was like a 16-year-old that won $4 million. Uh, but there, it was actually a lot of, if you looked at the audience, it was a lot of kids and their moms. It was a lot of <laughs> and their moms, eight, moms eight to 15. It's an interesting dynamic, right? Because right, of that. Right. Okay. And you mentioned a couple of times prize money. You're talking very large numbers here. I think that the League of Legends prize money you said was, what was that, $30 million? The biggest prizes so far have been things like the Fortnite World Cup, which was $30 million total prize money. Every year, there's a game very much like League of Legends, a competitor to it called Dota. They put on their one, the, the biggest tournament maybe in, in all of esports every year called the International. Mm -hmm. And every year that prize money has crept up. It's, I think, around the $40 million mark okay. now. And now where is that money coming from? Sponsors primarily. So brands are the biggest chunk of the revenue pie for esports. We're starting to see things like media rights which is, if you look at traditional sports, World, their, World Cup, right. are the, their bread and butter. That's where they make all the money. Sure. Esports is still not there yet. Interesting, because if you're talking about 100 million people, that's a, a, a massive audience. And as we were saying before the show, that's an audience which advertisers are, are really interested in as well, given the demographic. Yeah, and, and there have been instances, right? Like YouTube very famously paid for the broadcast rights of Overwatch League, which is another game and another mm -hmm. league. So we have seen instances of it, but... It's still early days, very early days compared to what gamers call meat sports. I've been calling it traditional sports, but we, <laughs> we affectionately call them meat sports. Okay. That, that is really a great term. <laughs> okay. And give us examples of what types of companies are sponsoring. Are these generally tech companies? Is this Microsoft, Intel, or who are the people that are putting up money in order to be associated with the world of esports? Yeah. People break down that world into two groups. I personally hate that we break it down this way, I'm happy to talk about why, but people break it down into what they call endemic sponsors and non-endemic sponsors or endemic brands and non-endemic brands. And endemic brands are gaming companies that sell gaming products to gamers naturally. So Razer, Logitech, Corsair, HyperX, they're the ones selling the mice, the keyboards, the laptops, the gaming monitors. They're selling the stuff that gamers use. The world of esports is filled with endemic sponsors. All of these companies sponsor esports tournaments in some way or fashion. Where a lot of the new influx of dollars has come from though is the non-endemic sponsors, right? The companies you wouldn't expect. And League of Legends, for example, is sponsored by State Farm Insurance. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't think <laughs> well, that because, would be... of, because if you would have insured your home base, then when the other team comes <laughs> destroys it, you've got a client, right? Yeah. And so you see things like this or Toyota, right? Or right. like almost all the car companies now sponsor esports tournaments because they know they can capture that customer early. And again, the gaming audience, I tell people the most lucrative, still to this day, untapped audience on this planet, they're young. They're digital savvy, they have money to spend, they're well-educated, right? They check every box of why a brand wants to reach out to these people or wants to talk to these people. Okay. So Paul, you said you're the old guy in the room. So just tell yeah. us, how does someone like you with a degree from an incredible university end up in the world of <laughs> esports? <laughs> 
now, to be fair, esports, like I said, I think is the tip of the iceberg. There's right. 3 billion gamers on the planet, people who self-identify as playing games, whether it's the dots right. game on your phone. My name's Darren and I'm a gamer. And so I think there's this massive opportunity. I was a VC and a tech entrepreneur for a couple of decades. I had invested in a company in the entertainment space, actually, and it got me looking at what was going on in entertainment very broadly. And while I'm a hardcore gamer myself, like really hardcore gamer, like I'll dedicate a bedroom to my house. Yeah. How do you distinguish between a softcore or a non-hardcore gamer and a hardcore gamer? Oh, I have the perfect example for you. I just moved to Dubai. Okay. I did not ship my couch. It didn't make it into the container, but I did ship my sim rig. My, like my, but so I could do sim, sim racing, like full motion rig with all the screens. So it looked, it feels like it's a video game, but it's just like racing a real car. So that made it into the container, but my couch did not. Right. Okay. I get it. <laughs> okay. okay. It's a question of prioritization. That's it. And so it got me looking at this gaming, this entertainment space, this company. And I realized, wait a second, two things, all of a sudden. Gaming was in the mainstream. This would have been about four, four or five years ago now. Ninja was on uh, The Tonight Show. Ninja, who's a very famous gamer and a streamer, uh, was on The Tonight oh, Show. The and Ellen. We have to take a break there. What is a streamer? Because if people <laughs> don't know esports, don't know what streamers are. Go for definition. A big part of the gaming entertainment puzzle is as much as people love to play the games, what's incredible is just as many people love to watch other people playing the games. And this is a uniquely gaming phenomenon, I think, where there are platforms like Twitch, for example, which is the biggest, where you can go and live stream to the world your gameplay. So if I'm a really great League of Legends player, I can go on Twitch, I can stream to the world, or maybe I'm not good, but I'm super entertaining, and stream to the world my gameplay, and I'll have people watching me, paying to watch me, essentially. Uh, and so there's a lot of people now who make entire careers out of streaming their gameplay to the world. Ninja is worth millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, basically from his streaming career. And he became very popular on Fortnite as a game. But at that time, sorry to go back to the story, at that time, Ninja had become very mainstream. People were talking about video games. And I realized there was this massive opportunity where gaming was going mainstream it was not the thing you did in your basement on Saturday nights and didn't tell girls about. All of a sudden, gaming was cool. And this light bulb in my head went off. I looked at the space and I said, there's this opportunity to take the business expertise, which I have as the old guy, and meld it with my knowledge of gaming, which I think you need to operate in the space, and try and do something interesting here because this was going to be a rocket ship. Okay. If you think where the world of esports was maybe five years ago and the sort of trajectory. Where is it going? Where were we then? Where are we today? And where would we be five years from now? So if we're talking strict esports, it's all the curves are exponential for the most part, but strict esports has grown slower than the broader gaming opportunity. Not slow, slower. Because professional competitive esports is still a relatively small market. You're talking about a very few number of people that can be pros, sure. a very relatively few number of big tournaments. Which is the same in any sport. There's only so much room at the top. But the dollars are bigger, the yeah. audiences are bigger, the players are, the player salaries are bigger, the team funding are bigger, the venture money into esports is bigger. Like everything has grown over the last five years. 
I think where I'm really excited is what happens in the next five years or 10 years around gaming broadly. And if you define gaming as the creation of virtual worlds, because that's what gaming is fundamentally. Games create worlds that people inhabit, play in, and socialize in. And the reason I actually called my company Holodeck, is, there's a good reason that for the Star Trek nerds, you might understand the reference, but it's at the well, core. Well, not true. <laughs> it's at the core of my thesis, which is Star Trek has more correctly predicted the future than any other show in history. And there's a room in Star Trek called the holodeck. And in that room, you could go into it and you could ask for anything you wanted. You could say, I want to go skiing in the Alps. And all of a sudden that room, there's snow under your feet. You're on the top of a mountain. It's cold. You have skis to your brain. You're in the Alps, you're skiing right. and your brain can't tell the difference. Technology is going to create holodecks. Human beings are going to create holodecks. And again, if we define gaming as the creation of virtual worlds, that's what holodecks create. I believe that this is the biggest revolution in humanity since the wheel. It disrupts basically every industry on the planet. Everything from tourism to education to even the adult industry, literally every industry on the spectrum gets blown away by holodecks. And people will live and inhabit these holodecks in my mind a good portion of their existence. Now moving so, from the world of gaming into the world which is beginning to be known as the, the metaverse. Yeah, it's just that's just a term. It's still right. gaming in my mind. And right. gaming becomes the biggest industry on the planet. Like my thesis is over the next 20 years, there's no bigger wealth creator than gaming. We're talking okay. about an industry that will not be worth trillions, will be worth tens or hundreds of trillions. Okay, but, but I want to just run that sort of thought because when you think about gaming effectively you're thinking about a form of entertainment okay it is just in the same way that sort of sports is entertainment i suppose the meat sports also supposed to be healthy for you whatever I, i'm not gonna yep. i'm gonna comment as to whether or not gaming is healthy for you or not but does that is that the trajectory that you see for gaming slash metaverse that it effectively is a form of entertainment, whereas tourism is also essentially a form of entertainment. Escapism. Yeah. I think there will be components of this metaverse slash gaming future that also replace the way we work. Okay. Why would we have a Zoom call if we can inhabit the same space virtually and meet and interact in a way that's a true completely... virtual meeting? Correct. That you and I can't tell, don't know that we're not physically in the same room, right? Our right. brains cannot tell. So I think there's components of it that also completely disrupt work. But my tagline on the podcast is the future is fun. And I believe the way humanity is going, increasingly, a lot of work is being disintermediated by AI, by robotics, by things like that. You look at the trends, human beings have more leisure time than ever in the history of humanity. This is a trend line that is only increasing, right? We have more and more time to fill with other things, whether it's being on Facebook or playing a video game, we're filling it. Well, it's, it's also because we ended up living to 150 years old. So, you know, there's, 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 there's a lot of absolute time, a lot, a lot of relative time. So entertainment to me is not, it's, a, it's an interesting word, but it's like, what is the future of fun? People talk about the future of work, and I think that's interesting, and I think there's a lot of people figuring that out. The future of fun is where I talk about gaming okay. 
more broadly. So I I want to just take a step slightly towards philosophy here. I think one of the criticisms of the sort of last revolution or the the revolution we're coming maybe to the end of, uh, which was a social network revolution, was that whereas it seemed to be fun, actually there were many elements of it which were, let's call them antisocial or had externalities which were quite destructive. Um, How does that play out as you think about the future of gaming? Yeah, let me just attack the assumption a little bit, which is the average 12-year-old today is way more social than any 12-year-old that lived before them. Even though you can disappear into your phone, you're disappearing into a world where they're texting their friends, they're on Snap, Mm -hmm. they're on Instagram, they're on TikTok, they're on, right? It is interconnected. It is social in its own way. Gaming swallows everything that, in my holodeck future, gaming swallows everything that people who resist these things may hold near and dear. It swallows all the social networks. It swallows all the meat sports. Why would you put your kid in real football if they can go play football on a holodeck and never get hurt? And so there's always going to be unanticipated consequences of new technologies, new paradigms. My view is you cannot stop progress. And so as someone having it today, it's happening anyhow, I'd rather figure out how to profit from it than worry about consequences I will not live long enough to see and know that every technological revolution, people have figured out to manage around the downsides. It's never perfect. It's always a little messy, but I think anything I say or do is not going to stop holodecks from being invented in my mind. Okay. All right. So now let's talk about the investor side, not because that's not an interesting conversation, but probably I could do it for the next two hours and the podcast is only (laughs) supposed to be about 10 minutes long. What opportunities are there for, you mentioned venture dollars. What are the opportunities out there for people who are interested in this area as investors? And maybe what are some of the things that people need to look out for as well? Yeah. uh, My advice right off the top is always don't go it alone. Uh, And I think that's probably good investment advice advice in general, if you don't understand the space, like very natively, right? Like you're not, if you haven't been a gamer for the last 10 years and understand the players and how they interact. If you're not, if you're not 28 years old, uh, don't go alone. Yeah, Paul's not 28. I'm not 28. I wish I would, but there are ways to, to play. And I think there are more obvious or traditional ones like investing in venture funds that are investing in the space. That is one way. And there, there are names out there, Griffin or Galaxy, or there's a handful, call it a dozen or so traditional, traditionally structured venture funds that focus on gaming. There are ETFs that you can invest in that try to capture a cross section of the gaming universe. There you're obviously only exposed to public companies, but you will get a good basket or cross section of the gaming universe. Usually ETFs are for, obviously for more mature businesses or somewhat more mature businesses. Are there enough mature businesses in this world that you're actually able to get a decent cross-section by going that, that direction? Yeah, for sure. And they think about it a little bit more generally in the sense that you have fewer game developers in that basket, like an Activision Mm -hmm. Blizzard, which was just bought by Microsoft or Mm -hmm. the deal was announced, hasn't closed yet. And you're talking about a company there worth $80 billion. So like. Activision Blizzard was not a small company by any means, but you also have names in those baskets, typically like NVIDIA, which makes the hardware, the graphics cards to power these games, 
now NVIDIA also makes chips for self-driving cars and for data centers and right. So it's, not, it's less there. of a pure play way of getting into the market. But I think if I was to do my own ETF, I think that's the kind of exposure you would want. Look, right. the one investment I'm consistently over time annoyed at myself about was NVIDIA. It's a great right. example, just because I've bought every new NVIDIA card for the last, right. you know, 20 <laughs> years and never bought the stock. And the stock has just done like up and to the right for the last decade. Uh, this is the kind of stock, if you believe but in the gaming just, future. Just I'm just going to say, just in case it's not clear, this is not a stock recommendation. Hey, what the hell, what the hell do we know? Go ahead. No, but my, uh, the point is it should be in the basket. If you believe in that gaming future, if you believe in my vision of Holodex and everything I talked about, NVIDIA is one of those companies that, you know, you could put Intel and AMD and anyone making, you know, chips and graphics cards and things like that sure. in that basket and say, this is a bet that's, that is probably a good one for the future. Okay. And so one, um, so last question, because this really is fascinating, Paul, it's a really wonderful, uh, opening to the, to this world for many investors, <laughs> where is the sort of interaction or the crossover between gaming slash esports on one side and the crypto world on the other side? Cause these two worlds have somewhat collided or, or have commonalities. That is a depends who you ask question. Alexis Ohanian, who was the founder, co-founder of Reddit at some point in the last six months came out and said, crypto gaming or blockchain based gaming is the future of gaming. Mm -hmm. And it's his belief that 10 years from now, every game is going to be a blockchain based game. Now it's his belief. I think he's totally wrong. And my view, uh, although maybe some so let, let's just explain, let's just explain that what, what, what that means. What does it mean that every game is going to be a blockchain based game? Um, so there's a group of games right now, which are called blockchain based games or NFT games or play to earn games. There's different terms used for roughly the same concept. I play a game and the things I earn in the game, the things I either buy or win or earn essentially exist on public blockchains and therefore in theory should be portable. I should be able to take so, that sword so, that I failed in the game and yeah. sell it to anyone else or transfer it to a different game. That's the promise of these games. Got it. Okay. So that, that one view is that's where we're going, which is that you're going to have a, uh, uh, you're going to have a character and you'll have shirts and you'll have guns and you'll have God knows what else, the racing cars, and then you'll be able to then trade those on a block in a blockchain what's the other view what's your view paul now i'll just add one little twist to that there's also the potential to earn money for playing right in those right. types of blockchain based to games because tokens. maybe you earn tokens that you can then go and sell and yeah. things like that so that's the future that they promise mm -hmm. i always tell this story i'm i was a very hardcore world of warcraft player okay world of warcraft is maybe one of the most famous games of all time it sure. was a massively multiplayer online game and you had a character and the goal is always to save the world basically and in that game you ride on what's called a mount so you either have a horse or a tiger or something that you ride on mm -hmm. and there was a very special white tiger you could get in the game it's called the mm -hmm. frost saber mount and to get this you had to do the same quest repeat the same actions 1200 times over 
it's a quest that almost no one did because it took thousands of hours, thousands and thousands of hours. But I did it. Even though I didn't earn any money, I don't own that tiger. It's not on the blockchain. I can't transfer it or sell it to anyone. I still did it. And the question you should ask yourself is why? Because it was fun. <laughs> because it you were the fun. only guy on that tiger. <laughs> you were the only guy on the white tiger with the whole game. And so the point I make at crypto conferences is I say, I'm fine with a blockchain-based gaming future. The problem is I see these pitch decks from these blockchain-based gaming companies, and it's 25 slides on their token and tokenomics and economies, one slide on the game, and then 25 slides on tokenomics and economies and all these things. And I'm going, wait a second. You're missing the part. lost over right. the part of why people play. It's not to earn. It's not to own. It's not to whatever you put after the two. They're playing it to have fun. And if it's not fun, they won't play it, no matter how great the token is. Okay. All right. That's really fascinating. Now, so for all of you, for anybody that wants to now spend a little bit more time learning about this, what would be the next step? Firstly, where could they go and watch a stream streaming? To just go watch people playing games, definitely go to twitch.tv uh, and you'll see thousands, tens of the thousands of people streaming gameplay with really quite eye-opening, I gotta tell you. <laughs> and these people, the streamers are massively entertaining. Like they're, I put them on par with any great actor, actress, like in terms of pure entertainment value. And if all you want to do is watch, for the most part, it's free. And they may play ads and things like that, but for the most part, it's free. And so that's where I would go to just watch that. I always mm -hmm. tell people, go to the gaming convention or conference because it's eye-opening, like PAX East, for example, which happens in Boston every year. It's the biggest conference the city of Boston has, period. Never mind gaming, just the biggest conference of any. And it's eye-opening. You walk into this space with tens and tens of thousands of game passionate gamers who are there just to play new games and talk to each other and trade pins and like stuff that you would never imagine. And it's eye-opening. So that would be like the, a, the second a, a, thing. A university camp has gone wild. <laughs> if you're interested in the business side, I'm obviously plug my own yeah. shows. Paul's podcast is the business of esports, which you can get anywhere. Is definitely a podcast that's worth listening to. Uh, the business of esports. We do a bunch of content every week, podcasts, videos. We also do a live stream every Wednesday. Uh, and we launched a new podcast actually a few months ago called Meta Business, which is just like the business of esports, but for more metaverse and web three topics where we're looking at the business side of what's going on there. Okay, fantastic. Paul, this has been great, really great. I've enjoyed this and not just because of the funky background behind you, because you combine real knowledge, passion, and actually it's fun, which is good because the package is what's inside, which is always good. I appreciate it, Darren. This was a blast. Uh, okay. And the future is fun. That's the important part to remember. <laughs> there you go. The future is fun. Thanks. Uh, well, thanks everybody for listening. There are more podcasts coming your way and uh, see you later.